happens. So basically, if somebody added a .com to their company name, the price went up, and that was unreasonable. We were seeing the same thing today if somebody says anything about AI, regardless of whether it's true. Just talking about AI and your company being associated with it has caused the price to come up. Once more unto the breach, dear friends. Else fill the wall up with our English dead. Hello, and welcome to the podcast for the Personal Wealth Coach with Jake and Jeff McClure. Uh, we are here to talk to you. I know that's weird. Uh, first thing we're going to do is talk to you about what happened in the market uh, in the week of the 19th of January, 2024. But uh, before we get to that, we got to give quick disclosures. The Personal Wealth Coach is a registered SEC registered investment advisory firm. That doesn't mean that the SEC has given any kind of approval. Um, we can't give investment advice on a podcast. I know that's weird. We're registered to do that. But we can't do that because we don't know all of you guys. Uh, we uh, deem all of the stuff that we're going to talk to you about to be accurate because we deem the places we got them from to be accurate. This is education rather than advice. And have I missed anything in our disclosures? We make no warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of said information. You just had to say that. that you I had to say that. You have to make no warranty. I also make no warranty about accuracy of said information. Wait. Or uh, unsaid information. Or, or, I'm going to warranty that the, said, the unsaid information is incomplete. I'm going to warranty that. Okay. Tell you what. So, what happened in the market this week? Well, the S and P five hundred and the Dow, for that matter, the Nasdaq broke records, um, but they did so very narrowly and, and in a peculiar fashion. It's worth looking at. The SPX, the Dow, the SP SP five hundred stock index, the one we follow, has bumped up against closing above its record high of forty seven ninety six point five six set back in January of twenty twenty two, and every time it's gotten close to it, it's retreated. Because traders tend to be superstitious. Well, I guess things just came in too well. Earnings reports started coming in from the fourth quarter, and companies are being more profitable than people thought they were going to be. And as a result, the for the week, the S and P five hundred closed at forty eight thirty nine point eight one, up one point one seven percent. It is now almost twenty two percent higher than it was a year ago, and about twenty six percent higher than three years ago which tells you a lot. In other words, you could wait. It, you would miss most of that 26% had you not been there for the last year. The trick is, and, and John Templeton said this a long time ago, so I need to give him credit. The secret to success in, long, in investing is time in the market, not timing the market. So that's cool. And his, anyway. he, he has an implicit sir in front of his name because he was knighted by a queen, which yes, is not was. a normal pastime for most investors. Mm -hmm. Sir John Templeton. Yes. If you were tempted to bail out back in October 2022 when we had a down period in the market and there were some people who definitely bailed out, that's why the market went down. The Standard Poor's 500 stock index has risen over 35% since then. It has doubled since the bottom of the market, more than doubled since the bottom of the market in 2020. And that's just the way it's happened historically. The other market indicator we follow tells us something too, and that is 
that the CRSP-US Mid-Cap Value Index peculiarly, I like that word, tends to reflect what's happening in the main part of the stock market if we take out the high-tech, very large growth companies, there's about seven of them, and it actually lost nearly a percent. It lost 0.91% for the week. It closed to 2457.9. That's 7.1% below its record high back in January 2022. So this stock market is the SPX, the Dow, the NASDAQ, are being driven by a relatively small number of very large growth companies. And unfortunately, or fortunately, I don't know, this brings back memories of the late 1990s. Yeah, it's, it's, it well, smells a lot like the dot-com bubble, um, even if the, every all the little pieces are different, all the big pieces look the same. Yep. So the other side of the market, the bond market, which I think is pretty critical, the yield on the benchmark U.S. Treasury 10-year note inched up about a fifth of a point, not very much. It went from 3.96% last week to 4.15% this week, which is within its normal trading range. But that reflects something. The bond market, when you see interest rates go up there without something happening with the Fed or things happening elsewhere, um, that means that people who are participating in the 10-year bond market think interest rates will be rising over the next 10 years. Uh, potential growth, economic growth causes that. Longer-term rates also inched up. We've been anticipating that. And short-term rates, the one year or less, which are pretty much controlled by the Federal Reserve, remained around the 5.5% they have been. So the yield curve, despite the fact we've had a really phenomenal bull market and we have a economy that's roaring ahead, has remained inverted now for, what, over a year? And and as a result, inverted, inverted yield curves normally, historically, have indicated a bear market is on the way. But this time, I think they gave a very serious false alarm. Yeah, I agree with West, that. West Texas Intermediate Crude Oil, otherwise affectionately known as WTI, also rose just a bit. It rose to 73.71 per barrel from last week's 72.68. Not very much, just enough based on demand. Now, what we find interesting is that all the headlines about the flow of oil being constrained by the Houthi attacks in the Red Sea have not been reflected in rising oil prices, which means they're probably not doing as much damage as the news media would suggest. And that's the markets. Uh, and just a quick update on that. I don't know if it's an update, a refresher. Uh, the, the yield curve's been inverted since July of 2022. So it's a year and a half of mm -hmm. inversion. July 5th was when it inverted. It inverted for one day back in April of 2022 or two days and then uninverted and went about its business and then inverted um, in July and it's been there ever since. So it's it's an indicator and it's a good indicator. It does mean it's going to be expensive to to start a business or to take a short-term loan to fund payroll or a lot of the things that are done to slow down the ultra hiring and the uh, rising uh, inflation that we were seeing out there. Basically, what that's targeted directly at is um, employers, but it had an add-on effect in the background of making house mortgage rates go way up and car loan rates go up. Those two were definitely in a bubble in the pandemic. So the Federal Reserve did a really good job in slowing that down. Um, okay. So that's the market. Um, we, I wanted to talk about a couple of things, but uh, do you want to talk about the dot-com bubble rather than the Houthis first? Because I think that's a okay. good parallel. Well, how much of a bubble there is 
is always open to question. Um, Alan Greenspan's comment about irrational exuberance certainly applies. Whether it's rational or not, we never know. Uh, as a matter of fact, his quote was, it's impossible to know whether it's irrational exuberance or reasonable valuation when things like this happen. Will the chip manufacturers, and that's leading, they're leading the pack right now, and the AI companies, will they totally transform the country and make phenomenal profits, or will they kind of fall on their faces like the dot-coms did? That's one of the big questions we have. Right. I'm going to give a little refresher. For some of you younger listeners, this is a first time you've heard this. The dot-com bubble took place in the late 1990s leading up to 2000. Uh, it really fully hit the, the rocks in March of 2000. Uh, what was it? It was this new and amazing technology about to change the world called the internet, or as it was more commonly called back then, the information superhighway. Um, so the World Wide Web. Yes, the World Wide Web, which we still use WWW. So it's like right. these are antiquated terms in some ways, but not really. So we had collapses of many, many stocks that a lot of people today do not remember, like Webvan and 360 Networks and eToys.com and Petsco. And, uh, Don't forget drcoop.com. DRCoop. That was a great one. That was one where you would have your prescriptions mailed directly to you. Well, we do that today. The, the difference, though, is that Congress had to act in order for that to happen. So basically, if somebody added a .com to their company name, the price went up and that was unreasonable. We were seeing the same thing today if somebody says anything about AI, regardless of whether it's true, just talking about AI and your company being associated with it has caused the price to come up. Let me give you another piece of information though from the .com bubble because it sounds like it was just a severe thrashing and, and everybody involved in it was destroyed. We've got some major corporations that came from the dot-com bubbles and bubble and some that revitalized themselves in the middle of that. So give you quick names there. Microsoft. Yep. That was a dot-com bubble company. So was Amazon. It didn't really exist before the, the early 90s. It was just out there. It was mostly a bookstore up to that point. And today it's everything. Uh, eBay, Qualcomm, and Cisco. So back to chip makers. Well, why chip makers? Because the internet's going to use chips. What are they saying today? Well, the AI is going to use chips. Um, it is a reality that a company isn't defined by the new technology. It's defined by being successful with the new technology and the speculation that says, hey, this company is involved in a new technology, therefore it has to do well. I'm actually going to go back farther than the dot-com bubble. Um, in my very early adulthood, I was at a doctor's office and he heard that I was in the financial world and he wanted to tell me about how He's tricking the world and how he knows the future of where we're going because he's using technology and he knows everybody's going to use it. And the technology in question was the pager. And I'm not making this up. This is real. This people really thought that the pager was going to be the way we communicated in the future. And there were only two companies that made the chips in pagers. And he invested 100% of his invested portfolio in those two companies neither of which exists anymore. So you can get an idea and say, hey, this whole idea of wireless telephone communication is going to be the future and still have that completely correct and still lose all of your clothing, not just your shirt. 
Yeah, the, the companies that led part of the telephone revolution and certainly led the computer revolution and the, uh, the hand device rev- revolution, some of which have, have just vanished off the face of the earth. For example, as this thing got rolling, as the dot-com bubble started rolling along and getting moving pretty fast, the dominant telephone and the dominant, quote, smartphone in the world was the BlackBerry. It wasn't even called a smartphone at the time. It was just called a BlackBerry. You would just go around and say, did you check your BlackBerry? You can, because you could text and talk on it both. And it had 45% of all phones being used at one point in Western Europe and the United States were Blackberries. All wireless phones, yeah. And by the way, there's a very good movie that I would recommend called Blackberry. I wonder what it that's about. It tells that whole story in, in very accurate and gory detail. You don't know where the Blackberries are and where the Microsofts are. And you won't know until after the fact looking back. There's a truism here. If you're concentrated on the new technology rather than success with the new technology and the fundamental aspects of is this company doing something rational rational that's going to make a profit rather than just new technology is going to do things and so money. You got to do some research. One of the issues that we have focused on is over the very long term, and there have been good academic studies on this, something called value stocks tend to outperform the what are called growth stocks. Growth stocks are companies that are priced very, very high relative to their earnings. Tesla is an example. Uh, Microsoft is somewhat of an example. Uh, the high-tech companies, the chip companies, on the expectation that they will have much higher earnings in the future. Value stocks are companies that, and this is generic, it sometimes varies a little bit, where the stock on the market, the total outstanding stock they have being traded, it's called the is, market worth capitalization. Less, is worth less than the breakup value of the company the intrinsic value of the company. So if you took all of the assets and sold it and and then paid off all the debts, you would have more money than what the stock price is. Yeah, and those historically have been very boring. And over the very long term, the academic study after academic study shows that they produce the best long-term returns. Obviously, during times like we're having right now, the large high-growth tech companies are shooting into the stratosphere. So is Bitcoin. But we question the value of Bitcoin because tell me what Bitcoin does that's profitable. And this, is, this is the truism that underlies it all. You should never expect to make a profit unless what you're doing is adding value somewhere. And what does a Bitcoin do to add value? It's like raw gold. You can make money. A lot of people have made lots of money in gold and in Bitcoin. We're not saying it's impossible to make money there. And some people are better at it than others. They're professional and they're looking for the right buyers and the right sellers constantly. It's the idea that you shouldn't expect to make a profit unless you're adding a value. So gold, for instance, if you're a jeweler, even when the price of gold goes down, actually, that's a good thing for a jeweler. It means that they can buy their supplies at a lower price. The value that they're selling, though, isn't the weight of the gold. It's the artistic product that they've created at the other end. Same's true with electronics. If gold is up or down, and, and it's a minuscule part of what you're doing, but it's an important part of what you're doing, you can continue to make a profit by putting gold into electronics. It's people that buy gold and they look at it for a year and decide to sell it. Why should they make a profit? And the should is important here. Unless you've done something to it, you shouldn't expect it. You shouldn't expect that profit. And that's true whether we're talking about stocks, bonds, working at your company or managing things for other people, unless you're adding value, you shouldn't expect a profit. Um, And I think we can look at the market today and we see a 
bunch of areas in the market that's undervalued. We compared this to the dot-com bubble as if we're in a bubble now. We're not suggesting that. What we are suggesting is that there's some really clear parallels and that just a very few companies are running the entirety of the valuation of a whole market. And those generally happen uh, and they can start way years in advance of a drop in the market. And Alan Greenspan talked about irrational exuberance half a decade before we saw the collapse. Uh, and the collapse didn't affect all of the companies. So your research is important here. And we just have to keep coming back to that. Don't just say, I have discovered a new technology. I'm going to buy the companies that make that technology and I'm going to make a fortune. You got to make sure the management's there. And that's important. And Another thing that is more immediately probably important to our listeners is be careful where you invest at this time. Um, there's going to be and are a lot of companies that are springing into existence or even have been in existence for some time that will show profits and seem to be a good place to have your money. But it's important to dig in because as high as the market is and as wonderful as it is to see the market and the economy growing like it does, history strongly suggests that there will be a downturn coming, and it probably won't be a small one. And and as I think it was Philip Correa who coined the term, you never know who's not wearing swimming trunks until the tide goes out. Right. Uh, he and was the founder of Pioneer Funds way, way, way back in the 20s of the 20th 1928, century. yeah. So the point I'm advising people and the point where the thing we're advising people to do is do your research. Uh, I was asked a very good question today. What is the difference between a CD and a money market fund? And I said, a CD is up to 250000 is backed by the FDIC. It's at a bank. It's fixed rate. Uh, there's generally penalties for taking out money early. And that's what it is. It's, it's what you get. On the other hand, a money market fund is more liquid, but you really need to dig underneath there and find out what do they invest in? What are they doing? Uh, it's just like any other investment portfolio. You've got to look and see what the risks are. And the risk that a CD is protected against is what's called non-systemic risk. What's non-systemic risk? If a bank fails, but the rest of the economic system continues to function, and you had your money in the bank, you're subject to non-systemic risk. And the FDIC comes in and protects you from that. Now, as we saw Historically, we saw this out in California. If you have more money in your accounts than is covered by the FDIC and the bank fails, technically you are an unsecured creditor. Here's the, and, and the fact that the FDIC has stepped in and the Treasury has stepped in in the past and bailed out people who had uninsured money someplace doesn't mean they will always do so. So it's important for you to do your homework. It's important for you to recognize that during periods of boom times, and we are in a definitely a period of boom times, there are risks, and it may be years before they appear. Uh, any place you put your money that promises you a higher rate than a treasury bill, a T-bill with a guarantee on it, there is a hidden risk there someplace. That I can guarantee. And if you don't know what the risk is, you can't manage it. I agree with that. Now, having said all that, we've got one other subject that we wanted to cover in this particular episode, and that's the piracy in the Red Sea. It's not even piracy. It's just random attacks. The Houthis launching drones and missiles and um, taking little boats out and peppering at little at, at big cargo ships and tankers and uh, they're they're not they they're all claiming these are all related to the Israel Israelis out there and they're the bad guy except that they're attacking Dutch and 
Danish and English and Chinese, and there's no, they're, they're just, if they see a ship, they're attacking it. There's, they, well, it must be associated with the Israelis somehow because it's on the water. They have said that they are not, they, and apparently they know the ship's registries. Apparently they're tracking their tags. Uh-huh. If it's a Chinese-based ship or an Iranian-based ship, they won't shoot at it. Well, they shot at one Chinese ship so far. By accident, well, maybe. By accident, yeah. Uh, they're not really as coordinated as, I mean, it sounds like they're coordinated. But this that's an important little thing. What is that doing? What is it that the, that anytime you have disrupting, disruption in shipping, whether that's the Somali pirates or the Houthis doing their pew-pewing from the shore, um, the reality is that leads to inflation. Uh, and this goes back to the Spanish when they were bringing gold back from uh, the the New World and they were getting sunk and captured by the British in the Caribbean. This is a weird thing because the price of gold fell like like what happens when you drop gold. It falls like gold. Um, and the price fell drastically when massive supplies of gold that hadn't been in circulation in Europe before started arriving back on the scene. The Chinese price of gold fell. There's not a huge amount of trade during that time period between China and Europe, but the price of gold fell in China because there is trade. It just goes through a lot of intermediaries to get there during that time period. Then piracy hit, and it was bad, and it caused the price of gold to go up. Nowhere near what it was before they started bringing all shipfuls of it, but still, it went up a lot. Uh, and to think that you take a supply and demand issue like gold, what was it being used for? Well, it was being used to make coins and mostly that, mostly making coins. There were some candlesticks and things like that, but it was just, there was a lot of it and everybody liked it. So the price was going up because of piracy. It fell after that, after peace became between Spain and Britain. So almost any commodity if you put a threat on the shipping of that commodity, then you're going to run into issue. And a lot of ships pass through the Red Sea. Um, 80% of everything that's shipped on the planet travels by sea. And about 60% of everything on the sea goes through the Red Sea. That's a, a lot. And that means that over time, if we don't get this under control, we're going to have inflation that has nothing to do with uh, the monetary policy of the United States or the uh, the in the European Central Bank's decision-making process. It's something else. It's, you know, this is similar to when we talk about predicting GDP. Uh, when we say, I don't see a recession coming, and we were very good at this last year, by the way. I'm going to wrench my shoulder out of socket and pat ourselves on the back. We predicted no recession for 2023, and everybody else was saying, recession for sure. We didn't have one. And people go, you're amazing, Jake. You're amazing, Jeff. How did you do that? We could have been drastically wrong using exactly the same information because we're not meteorologists. What does that have to do with GDP? Well, if you get enough storms, hurricanes in the right places, you get a recession regardless of how well the economy is doing. Uh, so there are pieces of this that are not predictable. I know people think that there's, you know, smart people are supposed to know this stuff. Uh, when you hear somebody say, I give it a 50-50 chance that we have a recession. Well, are you taking into account the fact that we might have an extra large hurricane or an extra small hurricane season? What, what does that mean to your calculation? It's got to be part of it. Uh, so the, the Houthis are affecting prices and they're directly affecting prices in Europe. In the middle of that, though, what's happened to the price of oil? Well, 
since this time last year, the price of oil is down over 9%. Well, there was a war going on in Ukraine last year. Well, it's still going on. Um, uh, so what is that? Well, the amount of exports from the United States in the oil industry are at an absolute record level. There has never been a time in the history of the United States that we have shipped this much oil out there. Uh, and that's, that is the bottom line. It's ticked up a little bit in the last couple of weeks, but uh, year to date, we're up like almost 3%. Uh, but for the, for a 12 month period, we're definitely down. And if we, <laughs> the, the, I want to bring up the, the other things that can price this weirdly. And that is that in April of 2020, uh, uh, April 20th of 2020, 420 for those of you that celebrate that sort of thing, the price of oil was a negative $37.63 a barrel. They were paying you to take the barrels away. They were paying you to because they didn't have any place to put it. Um, and there's no way to calculate a return on that, just as a side note. Uh, your return isn't 100%. You didn't pay anything. You, you just made money. So if your your the amount of money you made if they gave you that you're up to seventy three dollars and seventy one cents a barrel and they paid you thirty seven dollars and sixty three cents to take it away you made one hundred and eleven dollars if you sold it today now I don't think that anybody sat on that oil since April twentieth of twenty twenty but uh, that's a statement of supply and demand is interesting the demand was still there for that oil but not the way it was before nobody was driving. All the plants were shut down. Everybody was staying at home and hunkering down. Those are all important factors. And I think that's the end. Do you want to have anything to wrap that up? Well, since we were going after so many other things, we, and we mentioned gold in passing. Um, if you adjust gold for, the, for inflation, uh, it, it hit a high back in, in 1980, uh, I think around $3,347 an ounce. If you're in, in, to, in today's dollars, right. In today's dollars. It hit another high in uh, around 2012, 2013, of about $2,473 an ounce. It's now $2,012 an ounce. One of the things that people miss is that whether it's Bitcoin or gold or whatever, things that do not contribute money to the economy have this tendency to run up and down very large scale, very quickly. And over the long term, they don't make money. And that's my last word on the markets. All right. Well, if you would like to talk to us, not on a podcast, we're not recorded. We're actually live people. Uh, you can talk to, to us uh, via phone or email or you can come through the webpage. We actually manage money for a living. We're portfolio managers and investment advisors, and that's what that's our bread and butter. Uh, so if you would like to talk to us about that, our uh, webpage is www.tpwc.com or thepersonalwealthcoach.com. There's contact forms on there. There's a whole archive of ancient radio programs going up to relatively recent. Uh, lots and lots there. You can find our podcast. Obviously, you're listening to it, so you know how to do that. Um, if you would like to call us, we have voicemail waiting. Uh, voicemail on the weekend, real live people during the week locally in the Central Texas area at 254-947-1111. Or 1-800-914-7526. That's 800-914-PLAN. Uh, on our webpage, you'll find a contact form. Or you can email us directly at jeff at tpwc.com or jake at tpwc.com. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll be back with more next week.